Hello there and welcome to the Outtime Film Podcast, where we talk film, TV, games, and all that jazz that is tomorrow. This week we're talking about the top 10 best films of 2021. My name is Tom and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, John. Happy New Year, dude. Happy New Year. Yeah. Woo. I mean, I'm not looking forward to it this year, but no. uh, 2022. No. But I mean, we've got some great films that's coming out in 2022. We do. Uh, I mean, next week we're going to be talking about all of our most anticipated films of the year and there's going to be some real good ones. But for us, it's still, it, we're recording this on the 30th so we not we might not make it through 2021 there's one day left we might die you never know but yes yeah, so i hope everyone had a had a good new year but it's been it's been quite a few films this year haven't there yeah but there's a lot of films that i missed this year especially mm. that i heard there were amazing so if you're like writing down in the comments like why hasn't why hasn't he included this film like i'm sorry i haven't seen them well, let's let's Ooh. get straight into it. So if you guys haven't seen any of our ranking videos before, what we do is we each kind of, you know, take it in turns to say each of our things. So do you want to go first? Uh, give me a number 10. Okay, my number 10 is No Way Home. Ah, very nice. The reason why it's at number 10, uh, well, you've got to be probably thinking like, there's some other great films you included, but no. But the reason why I'm putting it at number 10 is because for the experience, like, the experience watching No Way Home was just fantastic. Like seeing, well, spoilers, seeing Andrew Garfield and uh, Toby McGuire on screen was just pretty cool. Like it was great to see that. And there were some great moments that I really enjoyed. Even though it's a 9 out of 10 or an 8 out of 10 film for me, I thought it was just really cool. But again, the reason why it's just like a bit like a top 10, you know, it's not the best film this year. It was just one of those films I needed to watch. Because, you know, 2021 was just an incredibly bad year with some of the stuff that happened. But No Way Home just gave me a bit of hope. So, yeah. Yeah, two weeks ago, we did an episode of No Way Home. So, you know, you want to hear more of our thoughts on that. Uh, yeah, no, I agree with you. No Way Home, it's not the best film of the year. But, I mean, for me, on my ranking of the year, I've seen 62 films this year. And No Way Home comes in at, at 32. So it's just in the second half of my ranking. And, you know, it, it, it is an experience. You know, so much more than anything is quality wise. It, you know, it's a big experience. There is an importance to it in that way. Yeah. So yeah, amazing. My number 10 is The Father. Oh, The Father. I haven't you... seen that. Right. Okay. So this film, I guess, will go down in history as the film to win Anthony Hopkins his Oscar instead of Chadwick Boseman. So like very controversial, that choice. Yeah. I, you know, having seen Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, I really couldn't tell you whose performance was better. But this film definitely does rely on the performance of the two, the main two performers Anthony Hopkins and Olivia Coleman, both of whom are incredible. And what we're seeing here is a man with Alzheimer's who, you know, is just going down a spiral of confusion. And he spends the whole plot being told one thing and then being told something different. And as a viewer, you are taking on this experience with him. And what's so good is how the film makes you so confused. Until the end, you don't feel for him. You feel like you are part of it and you feel the same emotions that he does, the same kind of confusion, even though you haven't mm. lived in, in this house that he is not recognizing. And the way that the film works with all these different elements of the mise-en-scene and even the actors, sometimes there are actor swaps and it really works, you know, to solidify that confusion, which all comes around beautifully at the end with probably his best acting scene where he really loses it. And you just see this man who is just broken down and so, so sad. 
and it, it's amazing. It's a beautiful performance and it's done really well. I would have given, this is a solid nine out of 10. And I think the only thing that I would say about it is I would really like it to, as I say, it leans into these mise-en-scene bits, but it never really leans into the musical aspect. You know, the, there's a trait of the character where he listens to opera music. And I would have really liked the film to explore that a little bit more and use that as part of his confusion. But yeah, it was incredible. And he definitely deserved the Oscar. Did he deserve it over Chadwick? I can't say. But yeah, it's amazing. Definitely one of the best of the year. Yeah, I was really surprised that he got an Oscar. But mm. I can't argue because I haven't seen a film. So I can't be like, you should uh, Chadwick Boseman done Oscar. You know, Anthony Hopkins didn't even show up to the Oscars. I mean, yeah. like, I guess like even he didn't think he would win it because yeah. they even moved the best actor to the final placement like as an honor to Chadwick and then like yeah it was very strange decision indeed but yeah no it it is an incredible film my number nine is Zack Snyder's Justice League ah yes I thought this was one of the highlights of this year of films because you know you hear Zack Snyder earlier this year like he was like a massive film director especially if you know about the movement that started this whole thing. But seeing the film was super special. I mean, again, it's one of the best films I've seen this year. But I thought it's just about the emotion, the way that Zack Snyder really wanted to have this vision alongside with the characters, alongside with some of the stuff. But <laughs> the one downfall to this whole amazing film was that the soundtrack (laughs) and yeah yeah yeah, the soundtrack but there's so much passion and so much fun with this film that they had with Zack Snyder really being careful about these characters like you've seen it earlier in Man of Steel and Batman v Superman but if you really want more depth about that you can watch the Zack Snyder cut about that there was a lot of stuff that I really liked that was explored especially this one character Darkseid he finally appeared in the film and that was like mind-blowing and like Hearing the voice, like, where did, you, where did the armadas were going the old ways? And one thing that I really liked was, like, Cyborg being the heart of the film. Having that satisfaction of seeing a director's full vision. It just brings back a lot of um, joy and, and happiness as well. And especially seeing more Flash. Yeah. Oh, it's just the soundtrack that was just, like, a massive downfall. But, yeah, it was just a, a, a great film. But it's four hours long. I mean, I sat through it all of all. I was like... Oh, God, this is amazing. Yeah, it's not it's not a masterpiece, but I just thought it was just one of the best films that I truly experienced this year. Yeah, I, I agree with you. It, it's such a moment. Not only were we so wronged with the original cut of Justice League, but you know, Zack Snyder was as well. And you know, we were definitely part, you know, part of the movement to be like, you know, this needs to happen. And so many people were, and it, you know, it was so important. And the superhero genre, it hurts me so much the amount of times they hit, this story has happened. A director mm. will have their vision robbed from them. You know, we've been talking a lot recently about Spider-Man. Think about Spider-Man 3 and Amazing Spider-Man 2. It's it's It really is tragic. And, you know, this being the film that got it, you know, with such horrible circumstances with Autumn Snyder, it was so important. And, yeah, I mean, for me... Similar to No Way Home, this comes in at number 33 for me. I agree with you about the soundtrack, and I think there are other couple of things, but I think this is leaps and bounds better than Justice League, and it means so much that, you know, it will always have a place. I felt this film was ruined by expectation, but I am adamant that when I rewatch it in the future, I will like it more because I'll know what I'm getting into, and I won't be thinking that there's more than there actually was, because those trailers basically told us everything that was in it and therefore I wasn't surprised and that's okay but yeah yeah Tom what is your number nine well my number my number nine is a film called Shiver Baby and this is a film about a young girl uh, who is 
just about to go to college, I believe, and she goes to uh, Shiva, which is uh, like a Jewish wake, I believe. Oh. I might be wrong about that, but I watched it a while ago, so let's just say that it's a Jewish wake. And when she's there, she runs into... So it's like, it sounds it's like <laughs> the premise gets goes from like 10 to 100. She, 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 when she's there, she runs into her sugar daddy and his oh. family... And she also runs into her ex-girlfriend and her family are there, both of which don't know that she has a, a sugar daddy and two had a girlfriend. And it's just about the pressures of society and of expectation and of your family and of being secretive and being loyal. And it is amazing. It really, you know, similarly to the father, it just puts you slap bang in the middle and it makes you feel so much for this girl you know, who, you know, incredibly acted as well. I don't know the actress's name, but did an incredible job. What it does so well is that it just takes you through this one place, this one kind of party, and it doesn't really, like, some of the scenes in the beginning are before the party, but all you get is the party. And it it feels like, you know, you go to, like, a party of like your grandparents and there'll be like old people there who will be like, oh, I, I knew you when you were young and you're just kind of forced into a conversation with somebody who you don't know who is just kind of telling you all these things and you're just kind of, I just like, I just want to go to the toilet or something. It's very much like that. And you feel like you're being strung through and the pressures that she feels, you get those same pressures. And what it does so well is that it builds the relationships that she has with all these different people. And, you know, you can feel, you know, the betrayals and the complexities that goes with being young and discovering yourself. And I would have liked there to be a little bit more with our main character and her family, specifically like her mum and dad. But at the end of the day, you know, it does so many of these different relationships so well. And it makes you feel so claustrophobic while at the same time reaffirming you that when you need them, your family and the people who love you will be there. Yeah, it's just so good. And I always love it in, in, in times when, you know, you'll see a film that you just haven't heard of and you'll watch it not really knowing much going in. It's, it's kind of opposite to the Snyder Cut where I was just full of expectation. I didn't know anything about Shiva Baby. I didn't really expect anything. And then straight away it was like, oh no, this is amazing. And it really was. It was, it was incredible. Okay, wow. That's something to watch. All it's right. great. Um, so yeah, uh, what's your number eight? <laughs> okay, so once again, I'm just going to say that my first half of the list is all superhero-based. Uh, <laughs> nice. I feel like uh, I can so... guess what's coming. Okay, you can you can, you can, can see it. Is this next one Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings? Yeah. Y- yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, yes, yes. So Shang-Chi, I was really fascinated by the film's uh, cinematography, like Bill Pope doing... All the, like the, all the camera work doing the fight scenes and one it was just really cool to watch in the cinema and I just felt like it was just fresh and brand new to watch I remember talking about it yeah we do have a video on Justice League Shang-Chi any of the any of the main comic book films this year you can check yeah. out our thoughts on them there's some things that were left out or like some stuff that happened in the film like at the end spoilers like the Master Dragon I was a bit dragging on for the end like <laughs> what are they going to do with it it's a bit dragging on oh don't do it don't do it uh, <laughs> oh, funny. but with the soundtrack that was the other thing I really liked was the soundtrack and yes. uh, and there was a great song that I really liked when Chang and KT go into Macau and that song playing uh, in the background a song by Swaley who did the uh, Spider-Verse. Sunflower, yeah. Yeah, and that was what I realised. But I just felt like it was just all, like, really reminiscing, like, the old anime uh, style they used with the cinematography, and it felt like, wow, it was just so cool. I said that again. (laughs) It's so cool, oh, my God. But 
really, I just thought these were the films that I enjoyed this year. But yeah, what's your number eight, Tom? Come on, come on, please. I don't. <laughs> well, I was gonna say Shang Chi. I, I agree with you. I think you know it kind of loses it at the end, but I think that it has some really really good stuff you know the action is incredible and i think the the story that it tells and the characters is you know something that never ceases to amaze me that the mcu can keep on bringing out like stories that i think are really human and really impressive and you know obviously i think you're a lot more amazed by it than i am but i think that a lot of the stuff in that film really stands out you know because they're doing like different you know you can tell that it's a different director even though sometimes it you know it doesn't kind of come through and i think that's what's most important in these films you know in any comic book films, the director is, you know, so important to the, the reception of it or the way that it all comes out. Yeah, yeah, my number eight is Supernova. So... Ah! Supernova, Colin Firth and Stanley Tucci. That's right. So this is a film about two people in a van and one of them, so Colin Firth's character, is a musician and he's going to, like, do a performance or something. And Stanley Tucci's character, his boyfriend, is, you know, going with him. And so they're going on this road trip and Stan Tucci's character is dying. He's beginning to forget who he is and, and, and have memory issues. It's an exploration of love and life and when it's okay to let this love go. Throughout the film, they go to different places and they meet strangers and they meet friends and family they already knew. And it's all whimsical. It spends the whole narrative just looking back like through a rose-tinted glasses on just a beautiful life. And it's almost like it's a wonderful life in the way that it reflects on these aspects. And I think it does it so well. And the way that the narrative builds the connection, particularly between these two characters and the love that they have for each other, is excellent. The way that the film ends, and it ends with a beautiful piano performance from Colin Firth's character, it speaks so many words just with nothing. There are a couple of times when I, I do think the film struggles delivering an exposition, but what it does so well is just having scenes of the two of them just talking to each other. You know, you can tell these people are in love and have been in love for years. And this love and the performance of the two main actors, you know, it, it comes out so well just by their performances. You know, the script lifts them up. I think that is the, the best part of the film. I would say, you know, it does the struggle delivering exposition as, as well. But I think the main kind of core of the story is so powerful. And it, it's, it's an emotional one, you know? It, it's a film that, you know, considers what do you do when the person that you love the most could leave this world? You know, where do you, you know, how does one go on? I think it's, I think it's absolutely wonderful. Mm, wow. Yeah, there's, oh, there's some great films that, that this... <laughs> I watch superhero films like no. But, hey, we all watch superhero yeah. films, man. Um, so yeah, what's your number eight? Oh wait, your number seven. Your number yeah, yeah, seven. Number You've seven. already yeah. You know it's gonna be number seven. You know. I think I know. You know. I thoroughly enjoyed the superhero film, The Suicide Squad. Don't get confused with Suicide Squad 2016. Uh, we don't want to talk about that film, but no, we got a massive improvement. The Suicide Squad. This was a crazy film. There's a lot of uh, stuff that really explored a lot of different characters like Bloodsport, Peacemaker, Harley Quinn, and it, with the chemistry on, on screen, it was just great. And I felt like this was more alive than the other comic book films that I watched this year. The, the soundtrack with everything that was going on with the cinematography. I mean, look at the cinematography at the beginning, like how James Gunn used the puddle to reflect on... Tivan, yeah, it's Vaughn. I love how it was just experimenting with different shots. And in the beginning, like the opening credits showing all the other members of the Suicide Squad just dead aground, like going through. Yeah. Like what the, what's the, it's, it's like literally showing 
the, the film's premise and what's going to happen with these characters. Like, if you look look at the tagline of the film, and there's so many great moments that I really liked. Peter Capaldi, yeah, he was there. Yeah, he was great. And I thought it was just well-balanced. Uh, but there's one moment that was just so weird to have, and it was like, uh, spoilers, uh, to have Harley Quinn falling in love with the captain, I guess. With, with uh, yeah, leader. was he the, the president? The president? I, I, I don't know. But that was just so un- unnecessary I just, I just don't know why if you cut that out and being her imprisoned that would be really cool like how she got out and not having this whole ordeal like feeding birds or something i don't know uh and oh yeah and the parrots died oh yeah then we got killed um, rest in peace parrots rest in peace to his bro squat squat <laughs> um uh, and oh, no. um, we're already one episode in 2022 and john's he's brought out his parrot impression already <laughs> oh wow wow strap in um, folks we're in for a ride this year um, but my favorite character from this film was like bold sport like that was like the highlight of the film he was like really cool and i loved how james gunn used the old characters and used them in the most stupidest way ever like polka dot yes like, that was yes that was really great and i loved how there was like so many dynamics between the characters like Ratcatcher and Bloodsport. And I thought that was really well worked with their backstories about, you know, Ratcatcher's backstory about her, her father, you know, learning how to, learning uh, to control rats and learning about Bloodsport having this fear, uh, this uh, phobia of rats because of, because of his father's abuse. Uh, and I thought their backstory just worked really well into the film and how we get attached to these characters. And King Shark, yes, King Shark, <laughs> uh, just the, the, the sweetest guy. Oh, man. But, I mean, he's a shark that eats people. But anyway, uh, I liked how King Shark was properly used in this. He was, like, very dumb, but also, like, kind to the other members. Like, oh, dumb friends. Like, you found some flesh-eating fish. And that, I don't know what it was, but... Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I thought it was just a great superhero film this year. You can look at our Suicide Squad video as well. And we did the original Suicide Squad if you're interested. But no, I agree with you, man. Out of all the current book films of the year, it's just the one that has remained in my head the most. James Gunn is a he's a genius. There's no two ways around it. Yeah. I absolutely loved what he did. As you say, he elevated it so much more above the original film, you know, while delivering on the premise. And you know, he never struggles to deal with so many characters. I do feel like I think I think you're right on the money with the Harley Quinn subplot. You know, they kind of the whole Corto Maltesian re- rebellion as well felt a little bit forced in there but you know like you know Rick, Rick Flagg as well a character in the first film who I couldn't have cared less for in this one has some of my favorite moments and you know the, the twist with Peacemaker yeah oh, it's yeah. really cool and hey I'm excited for the Peacemaker TV show as well I have no idea how we're going to watch it in the UK, but I'm sure that we will find a way. I, I, I feel uh, like that people are going to get some justice pirates and just going to go, yeah, we're going to find the Peacemaker TV shows, if you know what yeah. I mean. <laughs> we're going to watch uh, Peacemaker. Oh, no, what, what have we done? It's 2022. John's a pirate. We're both pirates. This is it. We're going to we're gonna take the pod on a boat. We can be pirates together. Arr, this is arr. just going to be something like too much. Ne- next episode, we're like, welcome to the Outer Time Film Podcast. We're going to be talking about films of 2022. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> uh, but yes, yeah, The Suicide Squad, that just rings out like one of the best films I've seen this year with the, with the superhero. So best superhero film this year, I think. It's a bang- it is. It's amazing. And and while I said I want to take this moment to forcibly retract a statement, I said um, in our Eternals video that Eternals was better than 
Shang-Chi and Zach and Justice League and Suicide Squad. I now what? do not. I, you I, said that. I did you say that. that. Okay. Whoa, you whoa, said... whoa, whoa. Hold there, hold there. Um, I like to retract that. I still do think it's better than a lot of people give it credit for, but I, after a lot of consideration, I do think that it's not quite as good as this other film, especially not the Suicide Squad. I was crazy. I was just excited to see Marvel do something you different, and I still think it really. Crazy, man. <laughs> yes, I you know. Are crazy. I'm sorry. I just right, wanted okay. to make something beautiful. Let's, let's just carry on. Let's just carry on. We don't want to go from these mess. <laughs> you can just... listen to our Eternals video as well if you want to and hear me Wait, be a little bit Joe. too positive about it. Yes, uh, Joe. With Joe as well. Right, Tom, what do you have for number seven? Please don't be Eternals. Uh, please, number seven. <laughs> my number seven is Black Widow. I'm kidding. Um, my, my number seven. My number seven is Spencer. Oh, my heart. Right. <laughs> I haven't seen Spencer, but I really want to. I really want to see it. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's it's great. Now, I, I, I got to say, first of all, I don't really care about the royal family. I'm not the kind of person who, you know, who's all about, oh, the people's princess. Oh, yes, uh, the <laughs> Queen Elizabeth and uh, our tea and comfort. So, yeah, yeah. But no, it's really about, we're going to the pub tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. all right lads no honestly on christmas day my family wanted to watch the queen's speech and i have to say it was the most boring 10 minutes of my life <laughs> but yeah no my grandma watched that my grandma watched that yeah, yeah. people do don't they but yeah so spencer this is this is a story about princess diana in the 80s i don't know when it's set but point being is that uh, this is a story about her going away with the royal family to their uh, the house that they all retreat to for christmas for about three days and it is just amazing it's so so tender it you know we have an incredible incredible performance by Kristen Stewart I gotta give I gotta give mad props to her she absolutely sells it she's amazing her British accent is flawless and she's just an amazing performer if you'd have told me years ago that Edward Cullen and Bella Swan I think that's the name would have been like some of my two of my favorite actors I wouldn't believe you but Robert Pattinson and Kristen Stewart are incredible. And in this film, Kristen Stewart brings such an emotional performance, which is full of insecurity. You know, Lady Di, she was bulimic and like she really, you know, didn't fit in with the royal family. And in this film, you know, it's not a true story, but it, what it does is it, it builds on these things and it you know does it so well. There's an incredible scene where she has to eat with the royal family, but there's so much pressure, pressure on her. And, you know, she doesn't eat like, you know, in the same kind of like quantities or at the same time as everyone else. So, you know, she's really struggling with it. It's this, this scene that has so much tension, but it doesn't it doesn't spit on on the royal family either. You know, there are moments as well where it humanizes them. There's a particular moment where the queen talks to diana and it actually is like oh they don't have a particular stance they're not saying oh yeah the roles were horrible to diana or you know diana was horrible to them it's very much empathetic of everyone involved but i think the menace of the film is tradition and it questions a lot about tradition and especially you know with what we've got now with you know controversies around you know Meghan Markle and stuff like that it really works well in today's landscape I think it was incredible it was very heavy-handed though if there was one thing that I didn't like about it it was extremely heavy-handed the messaging of the film was like being slapped in the face by Anne Boleyn and it was just like okay guys I get it. Stop there, please. But apart from that, it was so good. And, and, you know, if you'd have taken out a bit of that stuff, it would have been perfect. But yeah, it was amazing. And it was awesome, dude. Oh, I'm really looking forward to watching them. So for my number six, I'm going to have Sound of Metal. Okay. That's actually on my list. So let's wait until I hit that. And then we'll talk about it together. 
So my number six I... is Nomadland. Oh, I haven't seen that. Oh, I thought you had. I thought it'd be yeah. on your on your list. Well, Nomadland is directed by Chloe Zhao, and as we know, it won Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actress for Frances McDormand, and it it might have won Best Screenplay as well. Or no, that might have been Promising Woman. And it is a film about Frances McDormand's character, who is a nomad, who is somebody who doesn't have a house uh, but lives in her van and kind of travels around, you know, working uh, in various places, and. It is a beautiful study of life and freedom life. And, and, you know, the perception of homelessness and true happiness and the feeling of being home and belonging somewhere, whether that be in a community or in a city or anything like that. And it's so miraculously told. The things that it does are unparalleled. It's a film that doesn't feel the need to explain everything to you in the best possible way. And I think that it's it's just so endearing. And Chloe Zhao is such an intelligent filmmaker. The amount of things she does visually and the way that she presents friendships and, you know, love and pain and people just acting normally. Something that I think was really, really well carried over to Eternals. I think the indie crowd who loves Chloe Zhao will be annoyed that, you know, she didn't bring everything to, to, to her Marvel film and not that she ever could because of the marvel system but you know i think that you know if anybody who did like what she did in eternals and you can see those moments those human elements really coming through nomadland is all about that and yeah like it's not my favorite film of the year it's not my favorite you know even if i compare it to films of last year it's not my favorite film of last year either and i i can't say i don't think it would i don't think it deserves the oscar in my mind for best picture but it was amazing and i think it's a damn good winner because it is brilliant. The one thing that I didn't like about it was, you know, the ending felt abrupt. It felt like it, it kind of came out of nowhere and that the story wasn't giving us that message until it was. And I, I don't really want to spoil it, but, you know, what the ending says kind of feels at odds with the message of the film. But who knows, maybe a second viewing could rectify that. But yeah, Nomadland, fantastic. Uh, so what's your number five? Okay, my number five is June. <laughs> uh, sorry, oh, no. the sound of doom the sound of hans the cinema shaking from so much noise from the speakers and doom really fascinated here because i mean it is confusing with some of the stuff that it was showing like so many characters so many planets like arrakis but no the cinematography was just mm, cinema like how it really captivated like the new planets like it was like watching star wars again but more serious but more like entrenched with what we exploring here today what we're going to explore within these two hours about these characters and what are their journeys and this felt like the longest short film like you'll get into the action but then slowly just like dragging on some of the parts as well and thinking about how does the story unfold but we'll see that in part two and the way that the cinematography just really reflects on the story and how we connect with these characters and you know with Paul trying to be the best as his father throughout the story and the CGI was just also fascinating as well how they do like massive scale of the ships and the sound design yeah the sound design I gotta give credit to the sound design because that was just amazing how they experimented with other different factions and how it works together in that film and soundtrack uh, <laughs> the soundtrack yes yeah, Hans Zimmer that was really loud but I just felt like that really gave you the re reality of the film like what's it gonna be and it was just really fascinating to watch I thought it was like on an epic scale and <laughs> the one thing that really hurt me was that 
at the end when uh, Zendaya was like saying this is the beginning <laughs> and I was like oh oh okay we're getting into it and then it just went Brr! and just went cut to this is credits and like, oh but no it was a great film so yeah top five I, I agree with you June was excellent I definitely agree that you know it, it can get confusing and it comes to such an abrupt end you know it, it kind of makes you feel like you know like you haven't really gone anywhere and you, when you think back not much happens in the film but then like it goes you know it, it packs so much in and it, it's incredibly done but I agree with you it's got such atmosphere and it's world building is so rich yeah I agree with you I think it's excellent for me it comes in at number 16 so it's not too far away from the top 10 uh and and yeah Denis Villeneuve is such a intelligent filmmaker he's got oh, so much yeah. power behind the, the lens and you know just everything in this is just cinema right tom what's your number five well my number five is last night in soho and i i'm gonna predict that that is on your list as well yes right yes. okay you're gonna be very surprised where that is so. okay so we'll wait we'll yeah. wait until you hit that so uh what's your number four my number four is the french dispatch right for me that comes in at, at number 17 so no it doesn't make my top 10 oh whoa okay <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. I'm like the oh, I'm wow. Wes Anderson's no, I'm biggest just, fan. I, I, and I didn't... I'm just yeah, surprised that you, as uh, Wes Anderson, you know, I guess that Annette is in your. Is it in your top five? No, it's not. Uh, Annette's my oh. number. My, Annette's my number eleven. So it was so nearly oh, in right. there, but then I watched Spencer and it got kicked out to the curb. Oh my god. Okay, so The French Dispatch was another interesting film to watch on the big screen. This was my first, well, second. Wes Anderson film to watch on the big screen. Was your first Fantastic Mr. Fox? Yes. Same, yes. So, The French Dispatch. You can hear the rest of the thoughts on that, but I'm just going to give you a brief summary. I thought the short stories were just excellent, apart from the last one, because I thought the last one was really giving you a, mo- uh, a lot of emotion. It did. I mean, some of it, but it wasn't really fleshing it out. I thought the first two stories were just excellent. I thought the way that Wes Anderson just experimented on different ways like it was so it was so shocking to see like him using different aspect ratios, handheld camera. You just like, oh my god, he's he's doing everything different now. He like the brain just can't compete with this. I just thought the mise en sense and the cinematography was just you know beautiful in this film. Like how each different part or each different character like gives a lot of meaning to towards the film. And the first story was just. It was just so funny. I thought this was a, a, like a feel-good film to watch, you know, about like, it's just a wacky film, to be honest. I, I just thought it was just hilarious. And yeah, I, I just loved it. Um, I don't know. I, I just can't say a lot, but I just really loved it. This is definitely Wes Anderson changing the scope for what he does. His films are so precise and so planned down to every small detail. What he's doing here is he's rearranging the way that stories are told with these three short films and crafting individual characters in all of them, all told from different narrative uh, perspectives. As you said, you've got his signature symmetry. You've got like sets moving. You've got shaky cam. You've got animated segments. You've got like, you know, POV on like a bicycle. And it's also like experimental and amazing. And I think it all works so well. But for me, the problem was, was just that I had literally just been to see Last Night in Soho and I didn't have a break. I literally went straight into French Dispatch and I didn't know, like, I couldn't tell where I was in the film. I didn't know when, like, each act was starting, didn't know when I was getting towards the end. And so I kind of got very tired of it. It's a similar story to Annette. And, you know, if, if you guys have seen our Shang-Chi video, maybe I talked about Annette then. But, you know, oh, yeah. I feel like definitely. Yeah. And, and hey, I, I adore Wes Anderson so much. So 
there's not a shadow of doubt that I will be rewatching this film. But yeah, I feel like I'm yet to appreciate it fully, purely because when I did watch it, I was just in the cinema like, oh, I'm very tired. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay, what's your number three? Number four. Uh, number four. Yep, sorry. <laughs> well, my number four is Sound of Metal. So you're, that was your seven, six, Oh, seven? yeah. That was your it, six, it was right? A bit hard. Yeah, it was a bit hard to mix around because I thought, I saw this film, but I didn't. Then I, I don't know. My brain was just like, I turn it off. But yeah, so Sound of Metal. Yeah. When did it come out? Did it come out in April? Nah, it came out in like February, something like that. Um, what? I think, I think you watched it in April because I remember it was the One Dorm 84 video because when I was editing it, we had loads of audio pro- problems. Oh, but I watched yeah. it. I watched it way after you on your recommendation. I have to say, yeah, it was it's such a such a good study of, you know, what matters most to somebody you know like it conveys panic and feeling of isolation so well you know with the main characters growing deafness I mean Riz Ahmed is an incredible actor and you know it just makes me see this and be like wow he was wasted in Star Wars and in Venom you know he is such oh yeah you yeah right he's such an amazing actor and he builds his character so much and you can really feel that sense of paranoia and anxiety that he has when he realizes these things and going on that journey to unravel it and be okay with his condition, you know, and his state of mind, which I think is amazing. And he's not the only person who is really good in it. Olivia Cook as well is amazing. Oh, I, think, yeah. I think that's her name. And, um, you know, she's really, really good as his, as his girlfriend. And, you know, the journey that he, that he goes on, you know, with her is great. And I want to say Lauren Ridloff's in it as well, who was Makari in Eternals. And I think that's really cool. Because everybody loved her in Eternals uh, for good reason. And it's like, there she is again. Brilliant stuff. Ah, yeah. Yeah. And I thought Sound of Metal, again, this was just the personal film. It's about someone who's losing their hearing. And as for me, I lost my hearing at an earlier age. And I didn't know what that was like. But this, it was just really interesting to see how someone really old, uh, older and who is really passionate about music losing his hearing. That is just a heartbreaking, really heartbreaking. And he has to get used to sound being there for a long time. And, you know, he has to hear that sound and get used to it. And that's really painful. And it has great deaf representation. And as well, when, uh, spoilers, you haven't seen this film, when he comes back with cochlear implants or hearing aids and he isn't allowed to be there anymore because the boss has said that he isn't allowed to use something that would help his hearing. At the core message of the film is trying to help people who are deaf, like how they're going to help with it, how they're going to cope with it. And especially that it's shown at the, at the end of the film when he fully realizes that his deafness makes him calmer. If you see that the film, like it's silent, you know, how it feels like uh, what he said, like um, it was like the kingdom of God. He realizes that it doesn't have to define who he is and what he can be and what he can do. And, you know, the, the moment that he lets go of that, I think is is wonderful. It's a positive message as well. You know, there'll be loads of people going through this kind of transition to affirm to people that, you know, this is okay. Such a way I think is, is yeah, it was great. Yeah, I thought that was just really personal. I thought they I did, did thought about the deafness a lot and I really liked that and how music really connects other people. But and, and it was really heartbreaking as well, that one scene where he listens to his girlfriend singing and it's all static. The sound mixing of the film as well is incredible. And, you know, it really puts yeah. you into the, when he gets his implants, it really puts you into the mindset of, you know, 
hearing everything electronically. Yeah. Oh, that was so deja vu when I had the hearing test thing, you know, when you see it on film where he gets his hearing back. That was weird to watch because that was like the similar, the same experience when I had the new implant when I was 11 or 10. I remember that, yeah. That was weird experience. And I th- and I'm glad they included that because it's not like perfect when you get your hearing back. It's just like, it takes time to get on. And I think it took me months to get used to the, the sound in my the ear. But yeah, that was a really personal film of mine. All right, yeah, so, Tom, what's, so what's your number four? No, is it really- number three? Yeah, okay, number three, sorry. My number three? Ah, oh, yeah. No Time to Die. This is Ooh. my... No Time to Die, for me, is one of my honourable mentions. So, oh. yes, tell me about it. This was an unexpected film, because usually... But well, I'm not really hyped up for the Bond films. In what? the past, I just... Yes. How I'm dare sorry. you? <laughs> no, no, I get it. I mean, especially after yeah. Spectre as well. I gotta say, I'm not a huge yeah. fan of Spectre, and I think this film, yeah, huge surprise. Yeah. Yeah, he was a huge surprise. The way that it connects back to the other films was just satisfying. Like, at the beginning, it fully acknowledges Vesper. So, yeah, and, like, how it goes back to everything. And it's a perfect example of how to end a story with a character and such an emotional, the emotions at the end of the film, like, how we know this character throughout these films and, like, the struggles he's been through and, like, how what sacrifice he has to do. And I can tell that Daniel Craig was so satisfied when he's like finished, like, oh, thank God I won't have to do it again. (laughs) I felt like he was a lot happier when he was doing this film. I I can tell like behind the scenes. (laughs) It probably probably helps that he didn't break a leg. On Spectre, he broke like many things. And that's why he was so kind of sick of it when he was done. But I felt like he was a bit more relaxed with some of the stuff that was happening in No Time to Die. But there was so many great things that he explored. They explored Cuba with Armored the Armors. Ah, that was a great sequence as well that I yes. really liked. Yeah. Yes. The cinematography was just so different to the other James Bond, uh, well, the Daniel Craig's films. And I felt like this was more stylish. I think like with the underground bunker with Mami Mike's character yeah. in Japan, like how he used the lighting and how it was like fully adding to the mystery to the character. And I really liked that. And the opening of the film was, ah, oh, that was great. The first 15 minutes, cinema. Like, Absolutely amazing. Used, like, the opening titles, like, for the years. Yeah, and, and we probably talked about this. What we talked about, like, the opening titles, like, nobody uses them. Nobody uses that anymore. Like, they don't do opening titles. They should. Like, they should, because <laughs> it brings up what the film's going to be like. Yeah. yeah it, it's, uh, but the uh, ending of the film. Oh. Let's not be spoiled, but the ending is amazing. The ending is amazing. It's pure cinema. Like, how it goes full circle to the character of James Bond, that scene where he's climbing the ladder. Oh. And the soundtrack with that scene, okay, we're not going to go further along with the spoiling, uh, but well, on this bit, I thought the action sequences was just well used. And I thought it was like skipping a lot of cliches. And I love that. I love they just like skipped the cliches because it was more focused on the relationship between James Bond and... Is it? Madeline. It is Madeline. Yeah, Madeline. Madeline. Yeah. Because... My, my my brain was like thinking of Madeline in Vertigo. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, it's it's almost a similar thing with you know this this, yeah. this final person who is like the the one true love. But for me, no time. So no time to die was an honorable mention for me. Uh, it's my fifteenth favorite film of the year. So again, didn't quite clear the top ten list. But the reason why it's so so astounding is that at this point we're twenty five films in. We are the, this is the fifth film of Daniel Craig's run of, as James Bond. And they delivered such an incredible ending 
uh, you know, with so much that you're right about the cinematography, it's not quite Roger Deakins work in Skyfall, but it's incredible. And the, the way that they use color and lighting and make everything so atmospheric, you know, it's everything that I wanted a, a film like Endgame to be. And it makes me so happy. And, you know, every single action sequence, every single performance, every single character choice is so well done. The only thing that I don't like is how they introduce the status quo and then they cut to five years later introducing a new status quo and it just feels like resetting that it's a little bit dissonant uh, for me but you know what i'm so proud of them for for coming like apart from specter i can say that daniel craig now has the best run of any james bond he has got four cracking james bond films three of which are some of the best of the entire saga and if they didn't make any more james bond films from here i would be absolutely fine of that i'm happy to leave it here i'm excited for what comes next but at the same time this is really really cool yeah no more with daniel craig because it, it's just the perfect end so. yeah i agree Number two. Well, oh. but, but, I haven't done my number three yet. Oh, sorry, 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 guys. Just ignore, just ignore me. Just ignore me. <laughs> well, my number three is promising, promising young woman. And for the longest time, this was my number one of the year. Uh, so you know, we've probably crossed into the ten out of ten absolute perfection tier in in this list. And promising young woman is just amazing. As I say, I think it might have won best screenplay at the Oscars. I don't know. But it's a film that deals with such traumatic subject matter of past sins and vengeance, you know, and being angry at at, at the whole world for something that happened, you know, not even to you. And it delivers it with such style and flair. And, you know, this film could have been done in such a bleak way, but it doesn't do that. And it takes your emotions on a roller coaster that really aligns you with the titular character. It's an incredible performance by Kerry Mulligan. And, you know, you got Bo Burnham here as well, who, who also brings in an excellent performance. And it has such a social commentary about the treatment that, you know, men can have towards women. And it delivers it so poignantly. And yeah, I'm, I'm so, so happy with what this film does. And it's so important while also, you know, being a really satisfying film to watch as well. You know, you're really aligned with the characters to the point where all these horrible things that she does are almost justified and then taken to the next level by the twists and the turns of the narrative. You know, when you're watching a film and it it does a twist, you know, sometimes it's predictable, but you know, in this particular case, promising young woman slaps me in the face with its twist, did not see it coming and I was completely shocked. And, you know, I love it when a film does that, you know, twists like that show that a film has got you. And this film had me and I just thought it was amazing. And yeah, I'm literally so excited to see where Emerald Fennel, the director, does next because, yeah, it was amazing. It really was. I'm just trying to find and trying to get Promising Your Woman on Amazon. But anyway, uh, there's a lot of films that I haven't seen and I'm like, no, why can't it be this? And why can't it be that? And, uh, yeah, I know. It's, well. it's a shame, you know, when, especially at the beginning of the year, cinemas weren't open. So, you know, you had to pay to get films like this and, you know, it's it's unfortunate, but there we go. Um, so yeah, number two, what's your number two? My number two is, oh, I think I've done something wrong. I might have put The Sound of Metal at sixth place. So can we just put all the films down to two? It was really hard to do this year's films. I'm like stuck in the corner, just crying and thinking, 
why can't this be like one of the best films I've seen? But can we do an honorable mentions now? I know what num- my number one is. My number one is Last Night in Soho. Yeah, I knew it would be. I'll talk about my number two, and then we'll then we can do a couple of honorable mentions. Obviously, I've already talked about No Time to Die. That was one of my two. But yeah, my number two is Limbo, and it's just like Shiver Baby. It's just like so many on this list films. Just I hadn't heard of it, and I thought I'd give that oh my a go. God. And oh my, my god, god so <laughs> there really is just so many films. And I was just astounded by what this this film is about a group of immigrants who are going to the UK. Uh, and before they can get like all their visas and their permits like done, they have to like stay in this island in Scotland. And what it is is exactly what the title is. It's limbo. You know, they are in a state in between two homes. You know, they don't really they don't really know what their identity is. You know, they're learning a new language and, and you know, being taught like weird things about our culture by people who are, you know, trained to teach them in etiquette. And it's a, it, you know, in, in, in some way it's, it's almost satirical, uh, but it's a it's a it's a representation of immigration that you don't really get. And I think it was so, so important to show, you know, especially, you know, some people who can be really, you know, intolerant to people from other countries, you know, you sh- it puts you in those shoes and it shows you, you know, how difficult it is and how unwelcoming it can be. You know, the main character is somebody who wants to play his musical instrument. I can't remember the musical instrument, but he really wants to play it. And, you know, he just wants to have a life and be seen as like an artist. And it's so painful to be, to have to do that while not really, you know, he doesn't really know the, the language and can't really like connect to people. You know, added this to the cinematography of the, the island itself, which is, you know, full of harsh conditions. And might I add, four by three aspect ratio, which is used perfectly because there is a scene where the aspect ratio changes from four by three into 16 by nine. It pulls you what? in closer. It's more, yeah, it's more intimate. It's beautiful. You know, you know, it's the one scene where, you know, a certain character really feels themselves. And I got to say, it's just it's such a masterpiece, such a masterful work of everything. And it's funny and emotional at the same time. And it, it has so much to say about the treatment of immigrants and, you know, their feelings towards these things. And it's just banging. It's a great film. And honestly, you know, it's one of the ones that isn't, it's not like a big film, you know, it's not something people have heard of. I doubt it would be nominated for that many like big awards. It totally flew under the rug, but it's amazing. And I really think anyone should go and watch it. I don't remember where it is though. You know, whatever it is, I'm pretty sure it's on DVD and Blu-ray right now. So anyone can check it out there. But yeah, it's amazing. I really implore everyone to watch it. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, Noah, give me a couple of your honorable mentions. Ryan the Last Dragon. Yeah. (laughs) Seriously? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Okay. Um, uh, right. Well, I've got one. Space Avenue Legacy. Yes. Right. I've got. I've got one. And now. Okay. This... Annette. Okay. I'm gonna give in Annette. I don't like this as a musical because it's weak. This is like the mo- the most weakest cinema uh, musical I ever seen. It doesn't really give out a lot of emotion, but the cinematography that I really like. The cinematography in this film was like really. You know, you 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 would like watching as if you were in the theater, like watching like a stage play that's happening, like unfolding right in front of you. But it was the weirdest film that I've seen this year. Like, no doubt, the old premise of the story is an opera singer and a comedian give birth to a wooden doll. Yeah, yes, yeah. they do. Yeah, yeah. that is correct. Uh, that is correct, everyone. If you haven't seen this film, I wouldn't recommend, but also recommend this film. Because watching a very intense film. I have to disagree with you there. I mean, I loved and I think 
if you don't know what you're going into, and I didn't, and I know that you didn't either, you're going to be just completely surprised. But this isn't a musical in, in the traditional sense. Well, what it is, is it's a surrealist experience. It has so many qualities of expressionism and surrealism. And, you know, it adds that musical. It's almost like an opera um, in the way that it's presented. And I think it would work excellently on stage. I think the performances are absolutely outstanding. And once you get past, past some of those, you know, insane qualities, you know, there's so much to love about it and about the craft that it presents. And it makes me sad that people will flock to go and see The Greatest Showman. And, you know, this doesn't get as much of a chance. And I understand that, you know, it's these kinds of films are very difficult for, for you know, the general public to kind of get behind. But damn it if you know I, I was completely not ready for this film but I, I did love it I'm not gonna lie it's literally at my number 11 it was so so close to being in my number 10 yeah I've got one other honorable mention and I swear if if I knew what this was I it would probably be at my number three on the list um oh wow this okay. is Bo Burnham inside I admit that I haven't seen this I haven't seen this it's incredible right now I can't Technically, this is a TV special, but some people argue it's a film. Nobody can agree on it. So it's not on my list of films. But if it if if it was definitively a film, it would 100% be at my number three. It is an amazing just study of so many things of depression and anxiety and, you know, just the experience of being in lockdown in general and the society that we live in and, you know, the Internet. So many different elements that Bo is crafting and looking into while also you know letting us into his own insecurities and his own experience of being alone and kind of going a bit mad you know this drives the line between documentary and biopic you don't know if if some of the scenes are real or not is he actually going crazy or is he just putting that on to show us and that's what's so incredible about it I think it's amazing and not that not just that but every single song and i mean every single song is a banger you know you might have heard every, you know welcome to the internet online but every single song is a banger you know the, the the upbeat ones and the slow ones and there's just so much to unpack and it's so incredible and it doesn't stop but when but you just want you just afterwards you just want to watch it again you want to experience it and listen to all the music because there's just so much that he is saying about himself and about the world and about his gender and about his race and all races and all genders and sexuality and there's just so much in there and it's incredible and i swear if it was a film it would be at number three but i don't even know if it is a film so yeah Bob burnham inside is astounding that is it for me so let's talk about last night in soho your number one my number five ah wait what was your number one <laughs> all in good time my friend all in good time if anyone's oh. seen the thumbnail literally what's on screen right now they will know but all in good time okay i have no idea i'm, I'm <laughs> like that person who's just like sitting behind and just like oh okay and just like literally it's just behind them like yeah. the biggest... i have no idea what's going on <laughs> last night in soho the best film of this year edgar wright like created this film and it, it might be one of the best horror films i've seen like well obviously obviously it's one of the best horror films the way that it was going to the 60s horror like no one ever touched like they were balancing like modern like today's history in, in the past with like combining them together into the most devastating and psychological horrors like you know exploring about like sandy's life but also talking about like exploring ellie today and how it all like relates to present and past and it, it just works together and it, it brings in the horror elements and 
it really like talks about the issues in about about in the 60s but also the issues today in the present the way that it was like having like subtle cues in the films like in the film like um the red flashing like that knew that ellie was back into this painful world like um uh, sandy's world yeah going to sandy's world of the 60s and the way that it was going like twists and turns and it felt like a proper horror film like it was like building up the idea of like what was going to happen and yeah and i'm glad that i watched this film in the cinema because like the opening scene was just amazing like you, you instantly knew what it was going to be like the actors in this oh matt smith like one of the best actors matt smith like right there out there what a guy and and like how it was used like this character in this film was just so deviously it just worked together perfectly i really like the soundtrack this soundtrack is just used really well like with the sound mixing and how is that used for horror elements and this was just one of the best films i've seen so yeah edgar wright is a genius and watching it in cinema was just like watching some of the other animes i watched like some horror animes this was like pure horror yeah so well done edgar wright your 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 film is my favorite film this year yeah Edgar Wright never ceases to amaze me. He can just dip his toes into any genre and come out with something amazing. He's known for comedy, but what he's been doing in his last couple of films, you know, he's taken on a more a thriller and a horror. And this film is it sits among the ranks of his of his other films as just an absolute amazing piece of cinema. Because and that's what it is. He 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 tackles some really difficult issues of toxic toxic masculinity and mental health, uh, and just like university society which i don't even like know how he did that so well considering you know he was at uni so long ago um but you know i really connected to that you know element of it being uni myself he does it with such style and with such horror and the way that scenes twist and flip and you know the gaze of it is is so kind of mind-bending and and critical of the male gaze which i loved and the whole thing is just insane and i had one nitpick and that was that i felt like ellie's relationship with her mother wasn't quite you know wasn't as much of a through line as, as it could have been but honestly i saw this twice at the cinema and i i, I never do that and for context you know I'll watch, I avoid watching films twice at the cinema because, you know, like when I watched Eternal a second time, they're normally not as good. But Last Night in Soho, it held up second time and it was amazing. And yeah, definitely my fifth, fifth favorite film of the year, 100%. Just one of the best films I've seen. Best film, actually. What is your number one? It's time. Oh. Oh. Of course, it's Venom, Let There Be Carnage. Now, let me tell you Where? about Venom. Yeah, let's go! Venom! No, it's obviously, of course, the film that I haven't shut up about it's another round. My God. Oh. <laughs> it all makes oh, sense now. That, yes, yes. The film yeah. that you should never shut up about, which <laughs> I didn't hear about, but... It's yeah. so... When, when did that come out? When I don't even out? know when it came out, but it's so good. Let me check. I watched it in unlimited screening, so it probably came out a little bit after when I watched it. I think I watched it in, like, June or something? Another round. I watched it... Uh, so it came out in July, so I watched it at the end of June. Really? But, it came out? Wow. Yeah, oh, yeah, wow. it came out a long time ago, and I haven't shut up about it. That's how good it is. But honestly, this film is just everything to me. So this, so it's a Danish film directed by Thomas Vinterberg, starring Mads Mikkelsen. And first of all, let me just say, one of Mads Mikkelsen's, maybe his best performance ever, you know, you'll know him as, like, villains in, you know, Doctor Strange or, I guess, now Fantastic Beasts and... And uh, Hannibal and 
Casino Royale and he's in Rogue One. But this film, he just plays as a, a regular dude who's kind of like, you know, tired of everything. And you know, this is a film about a group of guys who read a scientific report that says that the human body exists with, uh, with alcohol deficiency. And they decide to drink a certain percentage of alcohol each day to get the alcohol levels up and so they can work better. And, and as they do that, everything kind of shifts the, f- the film and you know their kind of perspective and their lives get better because they are drunk uh, or slightly drunk and what you get is this um, incredible exploration of drinking and the benefits of it but also the side effects and how it can really ruin your life and it's so emotional but also really witty and really funny and it really broke me there were so many of the issues raised in it that really really touched me and made me feel you know it's the power of cinema that something made me feel that strongly about these issues and about you know what what these people go through things that you know I myself can relate to and it's just so good the highs and the lows of it and the ways that that these characters cling on to this one thing that they believe can make their lives so much better when you know the film's message overall tells something different and seeing them go from how they are at the beginning to how they are at the end or even in the middle so many different levels of it as the alcohol consumption gets more and more and more you know and it ends with this just mad dance just celebration of of life and you know of and the joys of being alive which you know has just a hint of reflection and depression in it as this enjoyment comes from something that can really ruin everything for you you know this film was made in tragic circumstances because Thomas Vinterberg he lost his daughter you know who was very much like you know making this film alongside it and you can see that you can see the love and the joy that and that, that went into it and you know what he has said you know he wants people to get out of it this kind of feeling of appreciation for life you do get that but it also really just drags you through the dirt and just you know shows you all all these horrible things that for me you know it shook me I never leave the films uh, I never leave a film at the cinema speechless I always have so many things to say I'm the most annoying guy I'm just like nattering away but this one just floored me I had nothing to say it was so beautiful and if there's anything that you take away from today it's goddamn watch another round and watch last night in Soho because they are both just cinema of the highest order yes let me see if it's Still available, so uh, another... don't worry, John. I've got the I've got the Blu-ray. You can borrow it. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna watch that. Yeah, that's that There's then. A lot of films that I missed. Uh... <laughs> well, that's all right. I mean, that's just how the cookie crumbles, I guess. I mean, that's that's it for another year, though, isn't it? Oh. I mean, last year we we did our best films 2020. Now best films 2021. What's next? 2022. The Batman. If the Batman isn't isn't at the top of my list next year, what am I going to do? <laughs> I'm so excited for the Batman. But we you will hear about that next week. We're going to be doing a video on most anticipated films 2022. But in the meantime, if you enjoyed this video, give it a like. Subscribe if you want to see more. We're going to do the Matrix the week after. I'm sorry we were, we were supposed to do that this week, but I literally only just finished the original trilogy uh, today. Um, and yeah, you can follow us on Twitter or Instagram at Outstime Film Pod or give us an email about uh, at outstimefilmpod.com at gmail at outstimefilmpod at gmail.com. Let us know your favorite films of the year. Let us know if you like the films you brought up. Just give us your genuine general thoughts on it. And yeah. yeah, I think that's everything. Right. Okay. Yeah, that's everything. Right. Brilliant. Well, cool. Uh, take us out, John. Take what you're giving. Give nothing back. Goodbye. Goodbye.